Good morning, Oregon. It's Thursday, June 30th. This is Savannah Edens with a news briefing from The Oregonian and Oregon Live. As Portland marks one year since a heat dome shattered temperature records and killed dozens of residents, the city is struggling to maintain a crucial tool to protect its most vulnerable people, trees. Both the cities and independent studies show Portland's tree canopy provides shade and other cooling effects, but it is shrinking. A university researcher's new analysis indicates that the neighbors losing the most tree cover are the ones where people died during last year's record-breaking heat wave. At the same time, the city has decided to curtail its relationship with Friends of Trees, a well-known nonprofit that has planted roughly 40,000 street trees the ones all over Portland between sidewalks and curbs, over the last 14 years. The city contract with Friends of Trees for the mass neighborhood plantings expires Thursday with no plans to renew it. The signature street tree program, fueled by volunteers and often led by youth in environmental leadership training, is on an indefinite hold. That means residents, as they have for more than a decade, will no longer be able to request a tree from the nonprofit and have it planted in front of their homes. Portland Parks and Recreation will expand its own tree planting program, leaders said, but it's too early to tell if it will match the volume of the Friends of Trees planting or the group's well-established relationships with underserved neighborhoods. Yashar Vasef, executive director of Friends of Trees, said he's glad the city will still be planting, but was disheartened by the contract's end, especially given the heat dome, climate change, and Portland's dwindling canopy. About 80 inmates at the federal prison complex in Sheridan started a hunger strike in the past week in protest of extensive lockdowns in their cells and reports of limited medical care, inadequate meals, and restricted access to computers for contacting their lawyers and families. Several defense lawyers heard from their clients that they were refusing to eat and only drinking water to draw attention to the conditions. One 37-year-old man awaiting trial on a drug conspiracy charge told the Oregonian Monday that he's been involved in the hunger strike since last Tuesday with the hope it will draw the attention of supervisors at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. The action comes as more than three dozen inmates have filed a petition seeking reduction of their sentences at the prison, citing two years of alleged unconstitutional conditions. Oregon Federal Public Defender Lisa Hay has argued in court papers that the pandemic and Sheridan's response has led to confining people in small cells for inhumane periods, cutting off access to family, lawyers, and other support systems, and allowing urgent medical needs to go unaddressed. Hay said she confirmed Monday from government officials that about 80 people held at the prison's detention center are involved in the hunger strike. The federal correctional institution in Sheridan includes a medium security prison, currently with 980 inmates, an adjacent detention center with 215 inmates, and a minimum security satellite camp with 309 inmates. A spokesperson for the Bureau of Prisons said Tuesday that numerous inmates at the detention center didn't accept prison meals for several days, but had access to the commissary to buy food if they wanted. Staff are continuing to carefully monitor the situation, he said, and the facility will return to full operations as soon as possible. Auditors say that Oregon doctors still don't have to check opioid prescription history, despite a scathing state review. Oregon has failed to make key changes intended to reduce improper opioid prescriptions, the Secretary of State's office said Wednesday in a follow-up report to a 2018 audit that identified a host of problems within the state's use of a database tracking prescriptions of addictive medications. Only four of the auditor's 12 recommendations have been fully implemented, according to the report. 
The Oregon Health Authority, which oversees the state's drug monitoring program, told auditors most of the changes required legislative action. The opioid epidemic was initially fueled by prescription painkillers, originally billed as safe, yet found to be highly addictive. That has led to today's heroin and fentanyl epidemic. Secretary of State Shamia Fagan drew a straight line from the problem it wants fixed to the opioid epidemic that, according to the health authority, kills five Oregonians a week. As awareness grew about opioid abuse, government agencies cracked down on pain pill prescriptions and took the companies making and selling them to court. Nationally and in Oregon, opioid prescriptions have fallen. Unintentional prescription drug overdoses in the state have fallen in the last six years, even as overdoses from other opioids, such as heroin and fentanyl, have climbed dramatically. But Oregon is an outlier nationally, with the highest reported rate of prescription painkiller abuse of any state, according to the most recent federal data. An audit has found a lack of inclusivity and accountability at Portland's Fire and Rescue. A Black woman has led the Portland Fire Bureau since 2019, but city auditors found that it is struggling to move away from its white, male-dominated culture. City Auditor Mary Hole Caballero said in a report Wednesday that the Bureau's culture may alienate women and people of color, despite an effort to change workplace hiring practices to build a more diverse staff. Men compromised 89% of the Bureau's more than 700 employees in 2021, and 79% were white. Caballero, whose investigation earlier this year bashed the department for using fire stations as personal car washes, pointed to the close-knit, family-like connection that many firefighters develop as part of the problem. Portland Fire and Rescue has prioritized training focused on the job, stopping fires, but has neglected training that could improve workplace behavior, diversity, equity, and inclusion, auditors found. Employees had not gone through training on communication, conflict resolution, or team development, which were recommended by a 2018 study from Portland State University. Other trainings, including refreshers on avoiding harassment, discrimination, and retaliation in the workplace, were also neglected in many cases, even though the city requires them. But in-person professional development sessions would require stations to find substitutes for firefighters, and the city didn't budget for enough overtime to do that, the Bureau said. The auditor's office reports that 43% of investigations into Fire Bureau employees between 2018 and 2020 were allegations of unprofessional behavior, including racist, offensive, and harassing conduct. Thanks for listening. You can support our local journalism by subscribing to Oregon Live. Go to OregonLive.com slash pod support.